Today's scripture comes to us from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Well, this is our last session together with Pastor Owen. And uh, before Pastor Owen comes up, I would like to have another opportunity just to pray for him, for his family, and for Christ Central Presbyterian, uh, given the fact that his family and his church were so gracious to share their father and pastor with us this past weekend. And so let's just pray for God's blessings to be upon them and for Pastor Owen as he comes forward. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this past weekend where we had uh, an amazing temporary shepherd over this flock at New Creation Fellowship. Thank you for giving us Pastor Owen to come and minister to us to share your word. Father, you uh, tell us to honor men who preach the gospel. Father, that even their feet are delightful, for they carry with them uh, the news of hope, the news of, of life and renewal. And Lord, we just ask that your grace would continue to be upon Pastor Owen as he speaks to us this morning and even afterwards as he leaves us. Father, we pray for journey mercies as he heads back home uh, this evening. We pray for your grace to be upon his family. Father, we pray that your blessings will be upon uh, his wife and his three children. And Father, we also pray for our sister congregation, Christ Central Presbyterian. Father, we ask that your grace would always be upon them. And in light of the wonderful, bountiful blessings that you've given to them, Father, as no doubt as they are missing their pastor this morning, we pray that you would sustain them and that you would bless them. And Father, we look forward to hearing more and more of what you're doing uh, through this uh, amazing church. We ask that their presence down in uh, Northern Virginia would truly be a blessing and that kingdom work would manifest in such a way that all who see outside of the church would come and give praise to you. Father, would you now bless your servant and bless this message, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Owen, please come forward, sir. Thank you, Pastor John, for that prayer, and thank you, New Creation Fellowship. You have been such a kind and gracious, loving uh, church to me, and I, I've just felt so welcomed by you all uh, this past weekend. I'm just grateful to be here with you. It's been an absolute joy. Well, the theme of this retreat has been wisdom, 
seeing the world through the lens of the gospel. And we've been talking about how the gospel changes, how we experience everything, right? Uh, through the lens of the gospel, we've, we've looked at our hearts. Uh, we've looked at our, our work. Um, yesterday, uh, last night, we've looked at the, the city in which we're called to live. And today, I want to talk about how the gospel changes how we view our suffering. And as I mentioned on the first night, suffering is something that has happened to you. For some of you, it's happening right now. And for those of you who feel like you're on cloud nine, suffering is just around the corner. Uh, suffering is going to be a reality in your life as you live in this world. And, and I think that's probably one of the biggest things that we have to get right. How do we view it? How do we relate to it? How do we let God use it to shape us? So that we might live wisely in this world. So this may be um, one of the most important sermons I'm going to preach this weekend. It's definitely going to be the most personal of my sermons because I have suffered a lot. And now I just want to share with you how God has used uh, suffering in my life for his glory and for my good. <clears throat> so the title of this morning's sermon is The Gospel and Our Suffering. Uh, let me begin by telling you a little story. Uh, 2011, five years ago, uh, it was a crazy year for me. Uh, 2011 is what I call the tale of two lives. Uh, there was a life that I had planned to live, and then there was a life that I actually lived, right? Two very different lives. Uh, the life that I planned to live in 2011, let me tell you about that life. It was a life that year I had planned was going to be a year of full of ministry fruitfulness. Uh, the church that I had planted and pastored was going to my plan was for our church to experience deep gospel renewal, that we'd be transformed by the power of the gospel as we em embrace the renewed vision of the glory of the gospel. I really thought our church was going to embrace our mission uh, to, be a, to be a blessing in the city where God had placed us. And, and frankly, I thought it was just going to be an amazing year. I wanted, to, I wanted it to be a great year for me and for our church. And I thought it was a great plan. I thought God should bless that plan, right? But God had a very different plan for my life that year. By the end of 2011, I had experienced the most difficult, the most frustrating, and the most exhausting season of pastoral ministry in my life. I found myself in constant and draining uh, conflict um, with key leaders over the new vision and direction that God had placed on my heart for our church. You know, I wanted our church to go in this direction. Uh, they wanted the church to go in that direction, and ultimately it led to a very difficult but a very necessary separation. So by the end of 2011, I resigned from the church that I had planted and pastored for over nine years. So there was a life that I had planned for myself, and then there was a life that God had planned for me. And guess whose plan won? Right? God's. But guess whose plan was better? God's. Now, as you look forward to a new year, and to the years to come. I'm sure that you have plans for your life. Plans for what you want to do. Plans for what you want to accomplish. Plans for what you want to experience, right? You all have plans for yourself. Now let me ask you, how many of you are planning to experience personal disappointments and professional setbacks? How many of you are planning that for yourself this year? <laughs> Someone, one crazy guy in the room, right? <laughs> the truth is, nobody plans painful things for themselves, for their lives. No one does that. Uh, things that will cause you anger or fear or pain or sorrow or sadness. No one plans stuff like that for themselves. But guess what? God, your Father in heaven, 
he has planned some painful things for you this year and for the years to come. Now, as you hear me say that, you might be thinking to yourself, but why, Pastor? Why would God do that? Isn't it God's job to bless me and to make my life easier and better, not harder and worse? Isn't it God's job to prevent suffering in my life? Why would God intentionally plan suffering for me? Why would God do that? That's a good question. Well, it's because your Father in heaven, he loves you. And because he loves you, he will bring discipline into your life. And according to the text that we read this morning, that's the way a wise and loving and sovereign God treats and trains his beloved children. Our text today that uh, Deacon Joseph read for us um, teaches us three things about God's discipline. First, it's painful. Second, it's loving. And third, it's purposeful. So God's discipline is painful. It's loving and it's purposeful. Let's get started. Now, according to verse 11, God's fatherly discipline is painful, not pleasant. God's discipline comes to you through anything and everything that is painful and unpleasant in your life right now. Whatever is is causing you pain or whatever will cause you pain, that is a means and that is a form of God's discipline in your life. Maybe you hate your job. Maybe you hate your demanding and unreasonable boss. Maybe you hate your obnoxious coworker. Maybe you just lost your job, and maybe you're afraid, and you don't know what to do as the bills keep coming, and you don't know how they're going to get paid. Maybe you failed at something that you really wanted to succeed at. Maybe you really wanted to get into that medical school or to that law school, but you got a rejection letter instead. Or maybe you really wanted that job or that promotion, but the company decided to go in another direction. Or maybe you're single and you really want to get married. I mean, you really want to get married, right? You want to start a family, uh, but it seems like none of your relationships are working out. Even uh, coffee meets bagel isn't working for you, right? And maybe you're getting older and you're beginning to lose hope that you're ever going to find um, that right guy or that right girl. Or maybe you're married and there is growing tension and distance in your marriage. Maybe you're realizing that your spouse isn't turning out to be the person you thought he or she would be when you first got married. Maybe it seems like everyone else has a happy and healthy marriage but you. And maybe you're realizing, oh my God, I'm one of those. I'm unhappily married. And maybe even in your weakest moments you've contemplated divorce. Maybe your kids aren't thriving in school and in sports as you had hoped they would. And it breaks your heart. Or maybe you're a parent of a teenager and you sit helplessly as your teenage daughter makes poor choice after poor choice, which only brings harm and sadness into not only her life, but your life as well. Or maybe your in-laws are a source of pain and grief. Or maybe you're sick. Or maybe someone you love is really sick. You see, whatever is causing you pain, whatever is making you angry or afraid, whatever is breaking your heart, whatever is making you want to bury your face into your pillow at night as you cry yourself to sleep, whatever is making you want to run away or to end it all, that is God's discipline in your life, and it can be extremely painful. And when God brings discipline uh, into your life, and he will, you can respond in one of three ways. The first way you can respond to discipline is by despising it. 
right? According to verse 5, this is when you respond by regarding lightly the discipline of the Lord. This means that you hate it, you devalue it, you despise it. Uh, This is when you get angry with God and angry at God. This is when you say something like this in your heart. How can God do this to me after all that I've done for him? I mean, I try so hard to live a good Christian life, right? I go to church every Sunday. I try to read my Bible. I pray. I even tithe. In fact, I went on a mission trip three times. After all that I've done to be a good and faithful Christian, how can God let this happen to me, to my family? It's not fair. I deserve better than this. This is what I call the I shake my fist at God response to discipline. Right? You know, a few years ago, uh, um, some of you know an NFL football player by the name of Stevie Johnson. You guys know him? He dropped an easy pass in the end zone that would have won a very important game for his team. Now, after the game, Stevie tweeted God. I didn't know God had a Twitter account, but apparently he gets tweets. And Stevie tweeted God this message. And some of you remember this. I praise you 24-7. And this is how you do me? You expect me to learn from this? How? I'll never forget this, ever. When God sovereignly brings loss, disappointment, failure, pain into your life, one way you can can respond is by despising it. And if you do, I'm going to warn you, if you do that, you will become an angry and bitter person. Angry and bitter at people, angry and bitter at the world, and ultimately angry and and bitter at God. This is the I hate thee response to the suffering or to the discipline that God brings into your life. Now, the second way to respond to discipline is by being devastated by it. According to verse 5, this is when you respond by becoming weary. This means that you lose heart and you lose hope. You're devastated by the discipline. And um, if the first response is the I hate thee response, the second response is the I hate me response, right? This is when you say something like this in your heart. Why is God punishing me like this? It must be because I've been so bad. It must be because of all the sin in my life. Surely God cannot forgive me anymore. Surely God doesn't love me anymore. It seems like God has rejected me. Nothing good ever happens in my life, and it's all my fault. I suck. Now, people who respond in this way, they get depressed. They get filled with self-pity and self-hatred, and they mope around feeling sorry for themselves. You see, if the first response is the I can't stand God response, the second response is the I can't stand myself response. You know, um, over the years as a pastor, I've walked alongside uh, many people who have suffered. I mean, I mean, suffered deeply. I've stood next to a friend who had to bury his 10-year-old daughter. I have a daughter who's 10. I have stood next to two men who've had to bury their young wives in their early 30s because both their wives were diagnosed with breast cancer and then eventually died of breast cancer, one at 34 and one at 36. Um, I've had to perform a burial service for a toddler. Have you ever seen a casket that's only three feet long? You know, um, um, I'm going to be 45 Uh, this year. I know you're amazed. I don't look 45. I look 30. I know you're amazed. I look younger than Pastor John. (laughs) I'm just kidding. 
But, you know, over the past uh, 20 years of pastoral ministry, I've seen God's people suffer. And I've seen both kinds of responses to God's suffering, where people get angry at God, where they get angry at themselves. And sometimes I see the same person um, having both responses, one day angry at God, the other day angry at themselves, not knowing how to process the pain and the suffering in their life, not knowing what to do with it. But those two ways of responding, either by despising discipline or by being devastated by discipline, are not the right ways to respond. There is a third way to respond, the proper way. And the third way to respond to discipline is to be developed by it. Not to despise it, not to be devastated by it, but to be developed by it. And how do you let discipline develop you? Our text tells us, right? In verse 7, you let discipline develop you as you endure it. Verse 9, you let discipline develop you as you submit to it. In verse 11, you let discipline develop you as you are trained by it. Enduring, submitting, and being trained, that is the way to be developed by discipline. That is the response of faith, and that is the proper way for God's children to respond to God's fatherly discipline in their lives. But you might be thinking, but why? Why should I let something so painful and something so unpleasant, why should I endure it? Why should I submit to it? Why should I be trained by it? Why, Pastor? And that brings me to my next two points. You can do that because you, as a Christ follower, you believe God's word, right? And God's word says that God's discipline, though it's painful, it's loving and it's purposeful. Verse 6 says that the Lord disciplines the one that he loves, the one that he loves. Now, in order for us to understand that God's discipline is loving, we need to first understand the difference between discipline and punishment. Discipline and punishment are not the same things. God will discipline us, but he has promised to never punish us, right? You see, everyone in this room, you, me, Pastor John, everyone included, we're all sinners in this room. We've all sinned against God. We've all loved and valued something more than God. We've all idolized something. And we've all um, sinned against other people. We've all hurt and used people to get what we've wanted. Every single one of us in this room are sinners. Now, we may try to deny it. We may try to excuse it. But deep down, we know that we're broken people. We have disordered loves. And we have done shameful things. All of us know that. And the Bible says that we all deserve punishment for our sins. Now, punishment is God's expression of his holy wrath against sin. But the gospel says that God gave the punishment that we deserved to another. Our punishment was given to Jesus on the cross, and as our substitute, Jesus received the punishment that you and I deserve for our sins. Jesus, in his own body and soul, experienced the punishment and the hell that we deserved for our sins against God. Jesus took all of our punishment. There is none left. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And friends, that's the gospel, right? That Jesus on the cross willingly received the punishment that we deserve for our sins, and he did that because he loves us. As um, I love to say at our church, I quote Keller at at our church all the time, uh, you are so bad that Jesus had to die for you, and yet at the very same time you are so loved that Jesus was glad to die for you. So punishment is an expression of God's wrath, 
But discipline is an expression of God's love for his forgiven children. God has promised to never punish us in anger, but he has also promised to discipline us in love. You see, God's discipline will hurt us, but it will never harm us. Verse 7 and 8 tell us that if God disciplines us, then it proves that we really do belong to him as his sons and daughters. You know, a few years ago, when my uh, son Caleb, he's 12 now, but when he was 8, you know, I used to have to discipline him a lot, right? (laughs) He's my son. And and one time, my son's really smart. He goes, Dad, 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 wait, 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 wait. (laughs) He goes, Daddy, how can you discipline me if you truly love me? Right? I don't understand it, Dad. Can you explain? He wanted a theology lesson before his discipline. And you're a smart kid, right? But the question that he was asking was, for in his mind, pain and love were incompatible, right? They were incompatible. And if you're a parent, then you know how silly and how immature that kind of thinking is, right? But before you judge my son, right, let me ask you, aren't you just like my son? How often do we say to God in our hearts, God, how can you bring pain into my life if you truly love me? And God answers us the way I answered my son. Son, I discipline you precisely because I love you. You see, my discipline is an expression of my love for you. My discipline is an expression of my commitment to you as your father who wants the absolute best for you. Discipline is not an expression of my hatred. It's an expression of my love for you. So the first reason why we can be developed by discipline, by enduring it, by submitting to it, by being trained by it, is because we know that it comes from a father who loves us. Discipline is loving. But discipline isn't just loving. It's also purposeful. According to verse 10, our Father in heaven disciplines us for our good. You see, the pain in your life is not pointless. It's purposeful. Verse 10 says that the purpose of God's discipline is that we might share in God's holiness. Verse 11 says that the purpose of God's discipline is that, we might, that it might yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness in our lives. So the purpose of God's discipline in your life is to sanctify you and to transform you into the likeness of Jesus. Friends, God cares more about your character than your convenience. God cares more about your holiness than your happiness. God cares more about increasing your faith than your finances. God cares more about enlarging your love than your luxury. God cares more about strengthening your hope than your health. And God cares more about your sanctification than your success. And sometimes, God will take away happiness to give you more holiness. And sometimes, God will take away comfort and convenience to give you more character. And sometimes, God will take away finances to increase your faith. And sometimes, God will take away luxury to enlarge your love. And sometimes, God will take away your health to strengthen your hope. And sometimes, God will take away your success give you more sanctification. You see, the purpose of God's fatherly discipline is 
painful and as unpleasant as it is, is to transform you and to make you more like Jesus. And that is the most loving thing that God, your Father, could ever do for you and for me, to make us more like Jesus and to conform us into his glorious and beautiful image. And in God's marvelous and infinite wisdom, the means that God has chosen to do that happen to be the very things that cause you pain. The very the unpleasant things that you and I would never plan for ourselves, the things that we try to avoid at all costs. I want you to think about this. If you had the power of Almighty God, what would you do? Do you guys remember the movie Bruce Almighty? Three of us? All right. What would you do with that power? If you had the power of God Almighty, what would you plan for yourself? You would probably plan for yourself the very things that I would plan for myself, right? You would plan wealth, health, lots of material things, comfort, convenience, success. Um, Basically, you would plan for yourself the easiest and the cushiest life possible, right? You would never plan for yourself failure. You would never plan for yourself affliction adversity, or hardship, or cancer, relational stress, financial stress. You would never plan those things for yourselves. You you just wouldn't. But thank God that God plans things for ourselves that we ourselves would never plan for ourselves. And thank God that his plans always trumps our plans. You see, our plan is to make us happy, but God's plan is to make us holy. Our plan is to pamper ourselves, but God's plan is to purify us. And God's plan is higher, wiser, better, and greater, and more glorious than your plan for your life could ever be. So what? Well, here's what. In 2016, now, this is only the second Sunday of the new year, right? And in the years to come, God will bring unplanned and unpleasant things into your life. Things that will make you cry. That is God's discipline in your life. And the purpose of God's loving and purposeful discipline is to make you holy, to develop you. Francis Chan, you guys have heard of him. He's a pastor and author. Uh, he said in an interview that some of the greatest things that have ever happened in his life are the things that he did not plan, right? By November of 2011, something happened in my life that I did not plan. I resigned from the church that I had planted and pastored for over nine years. I want to let you, I want to let you in on a trade secret for pastors, okay? Pastors who plant churches don't plan to resign from the church that they planted, okay? <laughs> That's just kind of a trade secret, right? Uh, that wasn't my plan. You want me to tell you what my plan was? I'm going to just kind of let you get to know how egotistical I am here a little bit. I'll tell you what my plan was. Here's my plan, or here was my plan. After 35 years of amazing and fruitful ministry, I planned to retire from the church that I planted. And my plan was for that church to throw me a parade. Not a party, but a parade, right? And to publicly declare that I was the greatest pastor that they ever had. Right? Every other pastor that we have after you will be a disappointment. <laughs> we can't imagine this church with another pastor. We should just fold up shop, right? Because it's just not going to be the same without you. You see, that was my plan for myself. 
Great plan, right? No, not a good plan at all. But thank God that wasn't God's plan for me. You see, God's plan for me was to experience one of the most painful things in my life is I experienced a very significant failure. You know, all the church experts said that it's really, really hard to lead a church through change. But I, in my arrogance, thought I could do it. I said, I planted this church. They love me here. They all came here for me, okay? If there's anyone that can change this church, it's me. And so I got to work. I worked harder than I've ever worked. I prayed more than I've ever prayed. That's a good thing, right, to pray a lot? I mean, I prayed all the time. And I met with all of my key leaders, and I talked, I persuaded, I coaxed, I cajoled. I did everything in my power to convince them that this new direction of a gospel-centered ministry was what God intends for us, and it's going to be a blessing to us and for our community. But no matter how hard I tried, it didn't happen. And I had to utter those two words that every overachieving Asian-American is terrified to say, I failed. I'll be honest with you. I'd rather say I sinned over I failed. I'm sure you understand what I'm talking about. That was the first time I'd failed so publicly and so significantly in my life. There I was, a 40-year-old, dealing with failure issues like never before. Again, I had never failed like that in my life. But the failure that I experienced was not meant to harm me, but to humble me. God brought a very painful and humbling failure into my life so that I might become more dependent on Jesus and more like Jesus. Through what happened, I personally came to a better grasp of the gospel at the heart level. Now, you're like, dude, you're a pastor. What are you, what are you talking about? Well, let me explain what I mean. You see, on one level, with my head, I know the gospel, right? I know that there's nothing I can do to make God love me less. There's nothing I can do to make God love me more. I know that. I I went to seminary. I'm reformed. I've preached that 10,000 times. I know that up here in my head. But at the heart level, I tend to believe something else, right? I tend to believe that God's love for me somehow depends upon my performance for him as a pastor. That if I do well as a pastor, then God will like me more. If I don't do so well as a pastor, then God's going to like me a little less. Maybe just tolerate me. You see, we live in a culture where it's all about performance. If you perform well, people love you. They praise you. They value you. But if you don't perform so well, then people devalue you. They forget you. They write you off. and They want to move on to the next thing that does perform well. We see that everywhere in our culture and nowhere more than in the world of sports, right? I'm sure you remember this. For a two-week span in February of 2011, Linsanity happened, right? And it was the best time to be an Asian-American NBA fan, right? I mean, he made all of us so proud. And as you remember, Jeremy Lin at the time played for the New York Knicks, and he was the most talked about and the most celebrated athlete in America for that two-week span. In fact, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and the cover said, Jeremy's World. You guys remember that? I'm sure you guys remember that. You guys are from New York, right? But why? Why was he so celebrated? Why did everyone love him? It's because Jeremy, as an Asian-American basketball player, performed better than anyone ever thought he could. You see, we love people who perform well. And for me, as a pastor, it's very easy to bring in that same performance mentality into the ministry. If I perform well as a pastor, then God will like me more. But if I don't perform well, 
You know, my theology was good enough to know that God wouldn't hate me, but I thought God would just tolerate me. You know, God really loves Tim Keller. You know, but, but the rest of us, like me, he'll just tolerate me. He'll let me into heaven, but he's not going to show me any special attention. I'll be forgotten, you know, in the corner somewhere, just barely getting in. On the Monday morning after my last Sunday, as I was driving my U-Haul down to the church to clear out my office, I felt like a complete and utter failure. How many of you have ever had to clear out your office? Anyone here? Have you ever known the pain and the shame of that? You know how hard it is when you have to clear out the office that you created for another person? It's not fun. Everything I've worked for for nine years is gone. It's all gone. But as I was driving, I had some gospel music playing, and I began to listen to the words. And then it hit me. The gospel is still true. God, my Father, still loves me. Jesus still bled for me. The Holy Spirit still lives inside me. God is still my Abba Father. I'm still his son. The gospel is still true even after I failed. The gospel is true for people who fail. And then it hit me, friends, that the gospel isn't just for people who sin. but The gospel is also for people who fail. And I needed to hear that. And I began to cry. I began to cry because the gospel is true. Just as my sins can never separate me from the love of God in Christ, neither can my failures. You see, the gospel is good news, not for perfect people who never sin or who never fail, but for broken and flawed people like me who not only sin, but who also fail. And I realize this grace is so precious because it flows downhill for those who are broken and needy. Through the pain of failure, I came to a deeper and a better grasp of the gospel at the heart level. I was, some of you may not know this, but um, I was at a, what they call a TE without a call. What that simply means is I was a pastor without a church. And um, that's a really hard place for a pastor to be, to be a pastor without a church. That means you can't point to any group, any church, and say, I'm their pastor, I did that. There's nothing you can boast in when you're a pastor without a church. And I was a pastor with nothing to boast in. But in that moment, I realized I do have something to boast in. I can boast in this, that Jesus knows me, that Jesus loves me, and that Jesus values me. Jesus is enough. Jesus is better than a church. And you know, it's a very good thing when a preacher can personally believe the gospel that he preaches. It's a very good thing when a pastor can say from his heart, Jesus plus nothing is everything. Jesus is enough. You know, as I look back at 2011, I can laugh with thankfulness because I realized something. That year, my plan was to change my church. But all along, it was God's plan to change me. God's plan is always better than my plan. So friends, in the same way, when God brings painful things into your life this new year, and he will, you can rest assured that he will use them for your good. So when God's painful discipline comes into your life, don't despise it, don't be devastated by it, but let it develop you as you endure it, as you submit to it, as you're trained by it, because God will use it to make you more dependent on Jesus and more like Jesus. Amen.
Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, oh, how you love us. You love us enough to send your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And you love us enough to send suffering into our lives that it might develop us, that it might sanctify us and transform us into the image of your beautiful son, Jesus. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here at New Creation Fellowship that when your discipline, when your suffering intrudes into their life this new year and in the years to come, would you grant them enabling grace to have the response of faith, that they might endure it, that they might submit to it, that they might be trained by it so that the peaceful fruit of righteousness might be harvested in their lives for your glory and for their joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What a wonderful word that we just heard from Pastor Owen. Thank you so much, Pastor Owen, for that.